because I was so interested, I became known as the pharmacist that was sympathetic towards natural medicine. In the 1970s, that was considered an oxymoron. Really, as a matter of fact, I more than once had somebody asked me, isn't this a little counter to your training? And I went, no, if a pharmacist can have more knowledge and offer more choices when asked, why not? Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, coming to you from Ravenhill Herb Farm, a permaculture design campus of Pacific Rim College in Victoria, British Columbia. As the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Rosemary Pierce is recognized as Canada's first holistic pharmacist with more than four decades of experience in both conventional and natural medicine. She also facilitates heart-centered workshops for those interested in taking personal responsibility in their own healing and growth. Rosemary is a visiting professor at Pacific Rim College and a featured presenter at Pacific Rim College Online. Check the show notes and stay tuned to the end of this podcast for a special discount offer on her new PRC online course and to learn about her two upcoming day-long workshops at Pacific Rim College. We cover a lot of territory in this episode, the roots of her pharmacy career and her family's influence, plant-based derivatives and modern drugs, the importance of acid-base balance within the body and its effects on bone health, COVID-19, the loss of a child, and the gifts that the universe provides. In an industry that is often dominated by the propaganda of a drug for every bug, Rosemary's holistic approach to pharmacy is a wonderful glimpse inside a possible paradigm where scientists and practitioners work together with nature to promote the safest and least toxic modes of healing. Of course, we have a long way to go, but with the progress of the likes of Rosemary and you, part of the Pacific Rim College community, I am optimistic for that future. You may not agree with everything Rosemary says, but to those who are receptive, she has a lot to offer. Please enjoy this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with holistic pharmacist Rosemary Pierce. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I've been hearing much about you over the years. You've been an instructor at Pacific Rim College on a number of occasions, I believe, and you're soon to release an online course at Pacific Rim College Online. And I felt it was time that I sat down and got to know you a bit. (laughs) I'm so glad that you've chosen to do that. (laughs) Tell me a bit about what you do as a holistic pharmacist. Wow. Um, It's a varied career, actually. Um, It's what I try to do is everything that I can that's creative and fun and and that I'm enthusiastic about. So that ranges from uh, researching raw materials, critiquing um, how to properly formulate, looking into formulations from what can help, what can go on the market. So I do that end, uh, especially because my family is involved in natural health. I have one brother who has a very large um, private label manufacturing and one brother that owns a national 
health um, company on, in the Canadian health food industry. So I'm quite involved, quite involved with the Canadian health food industry. And I have to really honor my brothers for giving me that original platform for exploring and being able to develop my knowledge. And I've done that um, for 30 some years at least. I've also worked, uh, used my pharmacy and my knowledge of um, anthroposophy and Waldorf education and have set up uh, a health food store. I had a health food store in Calgary for a number of years. So I did the retail end and often I support retailers now in the health industry with education. So that's been sort of a, a, a playground that I've loved to work in and amazingly wonderful people who uh, dedicate their life to uh, being retailers in the health food industry. And amazing people also behind product development and raw material. So there's that aspect. And the other aspect for me has been research and education. So being able to deeply research uh, a subject. For example, I remember when I was looking into uh, different formulations of calcium, magnesium, boron, vitamin D for osteoporosis. So that gave me six months of researching osteoporosis and understanding it. And um, then, you know, another one would be eye health. Um, I actually formulated an, uh, an, some years ago now an eye formula with a number of the newer ingredients that were coming out to support um, protection from macular degeneration, glaucoma, etc. And I did spend about another six months on the eye, the anatomy, physiology, the drugs. So I've been able to take my pharmacy, which I um, dispensed and had a license for something like 25, 30 years, and, and then intertwine that with natural medicine. Look at how the drugs work, look at how, uh, what the medication, what the actual natural substances can do, uh, where they can interact together, where they can't. So, uh, and that's been um, something I've done for, again, probably 20 years as far as uh, sharing drugs that deplete nutrients, for example. Okay, so I want to figure out or learn about what your inspirations were. You started out uh, to do a degree in pharmacy. Yeah. So I presume there was a passion for Western medicine. And then at some point, did you have a, an epiphany or a cathartic experience which led you into a more holistic approach to pharmacy? Or was that always the game plan? Well, it was the game plan since I was eight years old. And, and I think if we, you know, when one looks back at... Uh, their own biography. There are always sort of personality traits and things that I think determine direction, even if it's maybe not always for the best reasons or, or the most altruistic reasons. And mine was at eight years old that I didn't want to be like every other little girl. 
And of course, I didn't want to be like every other little girl because I had to carve out my own specialness, right? And I did that by choosing a career uh, by asking my mother, what could I be? Because every little, um, you know, eight-year-old is being asked in school um, what their, uh, you know, what their choice would be when they grow up. And the typical things then and maybe even still now is a nurse or a teacher for a female. And it was like, no, I'm not going there. So I asked my mom and I, I my mom is Dutch. She came over post-war and, um, you know, had a, a, a different look at life and was very independent and, and uh, very equal with my father. So she listed off a number of things and hit the word pharmacist which I didn't know. I didn't know what that was at eight. And when she described it to me, I went, that's it. And that's how I chose it. Wow. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I Very stuck. concise. Yeah, yeah, it was. I think there were two things at work. One was, as I said, carving out my own um, recognition, how to, you know, how to make myself special because special meant attention. Attention meant um, you had love, right? You had, um, or at least that was the equation of, of, of the little eight-year-old and probably many. Um, but for me, I think there was providence in that. I think there was some knowing that that was it. And I actually stuck with that all the way through school. Um, I grew up in um, the suburbs of Halifax and went to Dalhousie. But before that, I actually did some modeling. Not that I could, as I look at it now, could ever see myself, but I had some success with that when I was 17. Um, and that was the only thing that pulled me off until I really read how much focus had to be on the body. The, the breaking of a nail, the, you know, how your hair looked, da, da. And I went, nope, and <laughs> <laughs> went right back into what, I, um, what I'd already intended. And in the meantime, my mom and dad, I think, were freaking out <laughs> because they thought they had a, a scholar on their hands and <laughs> heading to university, and here I was talking about doing modeling. What it was for me, I think, that I loved was the energy of the crowds, you know, being part of, uh, I was often part of a whole program where modeling was part, and there was just the energy of being in front of a whole group of people who are just enjoying themselves, and there's something, that's what caught me about it. And I've, in some ways, through my career, I've managed to find that through giving a lot of public talks and trainings to retailers. And I've had that maybe not quite as big of a crowds uh, sometimes, but definitely very enjoyable. For the, when you got back on track, well, when you changed track again, back in the pharmacy, mm-hmm. when you were in Dalhousie doing that, did you at any point foresee that you wanted to bring in a more holistic approach to it? Uh, I, I also, when I studied in university, I studied exercise physiology, and I knew at some point during that that I wanted to bring in a holistic approach, and I ended up writing a thesis on 
alternative medicine and sports therapy. So I'm curious if you had a similar experience or if you went on to practice as a pharmacist before things started to shift. Uh, you're, thank you for reminding me about that because it did happen while I was in university. Uh, I again uh, cut out a different path for myself. I became part of a group and an OFY project that was supporting um, the underprivileged in Halifax as a storefront clinic. So I became the student pharmacist of, of that. And then I did a fourth year thesis on that. I took a fourth year and did a, did a thesis, which was out of the norm. Most people that did fourth year uh, thesis were uh, in the lab, right? They were working on drugs. Here I was out in the community. So that was one distinction that happened. But the biggest one was when I was in my second year, we had a PhD professor come from um, Saskatchewan with, a, with his PhD being in pharmacognosy. And most, even pharmacists sometimes don't know the term pharmacognosy now. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yes. Yeah, we, we teach that in our phytotherapy I, curriculum. Uh, he, Ah, uh, yes, that's right. You would know it through that. Um, matter of fact, I took, <laughs> I took um, that same course three times, taking pharmacists through it when I did herbology with Terry Willard um, in Calgary some, some years later when I, when I wanted to get more official training in natural medicine. But he taught me for three years vitamins, herbs, nutrition and I loved it absolutely loved it so I had that in my background but then when I went into retail uh, my first year 1972 is the first year I was actually a fully practicing pharmacist I was coming across lots of uh, young uh, it's a university town five universities there's a lot of of um, very you know progressive minds uh, during the the school years and they were coming in to where I was working downtown Halifax into uh, the pharmacy asking for things I didn't know about and I felt you know at that time I was a pretty hotshot young pharmacist that had uh, a lot of experience underneath me and I was I you know on top of my game and here they were asking for me for things I didn't know so I, with my curiosity, started asking them what they wanted these for and where were they hearing about these things. And so they were telling me about Adele Davis, uh, Let's Eat Right, uh, and okay. these books that had pep-up drinks in them. And so mm. they were asking for things like magnesium oxide, lecithin granules, things that weren't within really my realm of, of studies. And um, so I picked up those books. Then there was also people coming in for high dose vitamin C. And so I went into Linus Pauling, vitamin C in the common cold, the Shoot brothers with the vitamin E. And I became very, very excited that you maybe it was possible to do it with a vitamin at that time is where my mind was limited, but a vitamin or a mineral rather than a drug. Right. Like that was totally exciting to me. And 
just I'll give you just one other piece. Uh, because I was so interested, I became known as the pharmacist that was sympathetic towards natural medicine. <laughs> and I drew, because <laughs> now you have to imagine in the 1970s, that was considered an oxymoron. <laughs> really, as a matter of fact, I more than right. once had somebody asked me, you know, is, <laughs> isn't this a little counter to to your training and I went, no, I mean, if a pharmacist can have more knowledge and offer more choices when asked, why not? Right. Um, but I, I drew the attention of the Schizophrenic um, Society of, uh, I think it was Nova Scotia, but it was headquarters were in Halifax. And they were a lot of this group, this uh, association, um, were sending their children down into uh, the states, uh, New York especially, to go to orthomolecular psychiatrists. And one of those um, was out, Dr. Alan Cott, who was a contemporary with Dr. Hoffman. And he was using high dose vitamins, uh, niacin, vitamin C, many of the Bs, uh, to treat these children and of course they had to get them in Canada but in Canada at that time 1972-73 you couldn't get a uh, over the counter you couldn't buy vitamin C 500 milligrams hmm. it wasn't possible um, I think it was 125 milligrams was the highest amount that you could buy and Matter of fact, I couldn't even carry it unless I had a prescription from a Canadian Nova Scotian, I think doctor at that time, to order it. And the same with niacin, 500 milligrams, whatever. So they approached me and asked me if I'd help them get this stuff, and, and, and I did. Dr. Alan Cott came up to um, give a talk, a lecture in uh, Halifax, and they asked me to give a talk with him on the pharmacist's approach. And that really sent me on to my research career. It's interesting how you talk about the oxymoron of pharmacy and the more natural side of it, because when you brought up pharmacognosy, it, basically it is the study of the plant-based derivatives of pharmacology, isn't it? Yeah. And so most, I, I don't know the history of pharmacy, but I presume that it must have started in the plant world. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. We, it seems like you're just going back more to the roots rather than being a radical deviation to what a pharmacist is. Let's talk a bit about pharmacognosy since you brought it up and maybe you could give some examples of how that plays out today. Well, let's just use some, a uh, simple example like a um, herb such as ginkgo biloba. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, what in in um, maybe grassroots herbology, you would understand how to harvest that herb, how to prepare it, make a tincture or um, a powder or whatever. Um, but then, the if we pick up what uh, the scientific end of it can do, is look at the active ingredients. Um, maybe even look at something like ginkaloic acid in there and look if that is beneficial 
or is it detrimental? And as it turns out, you don't want ginkaloic acid in a ginkgo um, uh, formula because it tends to be toxic. But then there are the, um, the flavonoids, for example, and how do they work in the body? What percentage are we working with? What side effects, uh, how are they going to act in that formula? is where pharmacognosy really shines. And so it's really um, the uh, understanding of the active ingredients in herbs and their effect on the body. Okay. And let me know if, if I'm wrong in this, but with the field of modern, modern pharmacy, uh, as you just kind of mentioned with ginkgo biloba, typically there is a natural source that is discovered it shows some sort of uh, some sort of ac activeness in treating a, a particular condition, uh, and so in pharmaceutical terms, then those particular components that seem most active are isolated, and then often are often they're synthesized, which means the original plant ginkgo biloba is now gone. They are now just chemically synthesizing uh, something that is similar as yes. to the original. Is that correct? Yes, let's use uh, a practical example. What's coming to mind is red yeast extract, Okay. right? Red yeast. So red yeast extract um, ha was the start of statins mm -hmm. and actually the base of still three statins, which are, are, are put through that same process of uh, fermentation to get the actual statin drug. But then what they did is they've taken that and they've chemically altered them and made them um, more synthetic, let's say. Uh, and so now we have a larger variety of statins and um, the effects have slightly changed. And one of the ways in which they, that actually changes is in how it interacts, pardon me, with um, uh, with certain drugs or, or natural substances. So you get um, this category of statins, which are very close to the red yeast ex extract. And if statins have an interaction with a uh, natural substance, in this case, let's say grapefruit juice, um, you might find a difference in the way the uh, original extracted uh, statins do compared to the synthetic because they've started to alter it to get a bit of a different what's car called a pharmacological effect right um, so it's it's interesting but I, the basis of this is that a lot of our our drugs either came from or are still uh, rooted in natural plant medicine right but by eliminating that natural plant source, making a synthetic version, and if I'm not mistaken, in the synthetic version, they're greatly amplifying the effects of the plant. We're also eliminating the synergistic aspect of taking plants as medicine, because of course, when we drink willow bark tea or cinchona tea or whatever else we're taking, we're getting in so many other active components of the plant, which helps to balance the effects. 
Now, it also means that the effects typically aren't as strong or potent as by taking a pharmaceutical agent, but they tend to be safer. Am I correct with that? Uh, yes, yes. Very, very, I, I'm very much in agreement with that. Um, a good example would be Ma Wong. Yes. Or Fedra. Fedra. Mm-hmm. Right. So ephedra has uh, the active ingredients are alkaloids. And there are three active, or four actually, active alkaloids in there. Ephedrine is one of them. So when you extract ephedrine and either make it synthetically or have it extract it and use it as a, a single component, it acts um, more potent, but it doesn't have the supportive properties of both the other um, the other alkaloids, the other um, active ingredients that are similar to it. And it doesn't have the support of uh, nutraceuticals or, or uh, components in there that sometimes mitigate the side effects or the potential um, properties. Um, caffeine, uh, caffeine by itself compared to caffeine in green tea is a great one to look at as well because the theanine offsets a lot of the jittery effects of caffeine. Right. So that's why we think of green tea as being a much um, easier form to take of and, and, and more restorative and healing. Than a Red Bull, for, for example. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent agreement with this. Although, um, and, and this is a wonderful study, but what, um, if I could point it in just a little bit more of a direction, what's even more uh, interesting is how do drugs actually affect the body to cause nutrient depletions? How do they, you know, and then are those nutrient depletions part of the reason why a person doesn't get better because they've removed or depleted in some way the ingredient, the um, vitamins and minerals that's just use or nutrients such as um, enzyme Q10 from the body that's absolutely needed for the body to innately heal itself. Right. So that is a subject that I've spent a lot of time with. And then um, the other part of that is how are foods, herbs, and nutrients of all kinds interacting with a drug? When you when you put them in the body together, so so really there we we were looking at three aspects right the pharmacognosy, and then the um, uh, what we call the pharmacokinetics and the pharmacodynamics of how these things work in the body um, together or uh, yes it, it's the togetherness that I, I kind of meet there it's almost like a meeting between east and west in the sense of you know how many pharmacists are looking at that and now there are more and more pharmacists starting to to do that work I am glad you brought up Ma Huang because there's a I think a great lesson there and that Ma Huang has been used in Chinese medicine, ephedra as we know it, has been used in Chinese medicine for over a thousand years yeah. and safely, 
although any Chinese herbalist knows that there are different effects of different parts of the mahuang plant, be it the stems or, or the leaves, or depending on which component you decide to strip it down to, that is going to have a different effect. And in some cases, it's the opposite effect. One part of mahuang is a, a stimulant and a diaphoretic, which causes you to sweat. And then another part uh, actually does the opposite of that. And so by taking the herbal version of mahuang or a mahuang tea or a decoction, again, depending on the herbalist preparing it, they're synergistic effects. So it helps from the sweating and the stimulation to be too strong because you have these other components. And what I recall was happening, gosh, it might be 20 plus years ago, but professional athletes were taking ephedrine as a stimulant to help their professional performance, their sports performance. Uh, and to the point that I believe a few professional athletes overdosed and maybe even died while playing. I recall maybe a baseball player who had that happen. Subsequently, what I found was very strange is Ma Huang, the herb that we've used in Chinese medicine for centuries, was banned, and a Chinese herbalist <laughs> couldn't get it. But yeah. ephedrine was still available, and you could still walk into a, into a pharmacy or a drugstore and buy it. Yeah, it, it, there's a very unfair system, uh, as I'm sure you've it's, we're acutely aware of that now in our current um, situation uh, with suppression of just all of what could take us out of um, low immunity and, and, and the issues. And, and all of that stuff is like sort of poo-pooed or taken down so that the average person doesn't get it. And yet, and, and to me, um, it's, politically and lobby through lobbying this and politically motivated and i mean we could i we i know we won't because we'll stay out of those controversies for the college's sake um because it's such a hot topic but i also am really very tuned into the larger picture of what our planet's going through and yeah yeah, I, I just choose to deal with it internally because it, even though those these all of this external stuff is going on, it's a projection of my own consciousness. Mm. So it's my consciousness that I can deal with and um, move it into a, a place where it actually does understand the true connection to source as opposed to this false... <laughs> this false movie that yeah. seems to be playing out. Yeah. And just to clarify, I'm not averse to controversy. And this is going to be published shortly after Sally Fallon's podcast, which <laughs> listeners are, are probably currently listening to. And it is very controversial and, and quite mm -hmm. radical in some of the things that she proposes. And uh, I think in general, any of us who do practice the so-called alternative medicines, which I don't normally use that term, but... I think we're used to to that. We're used to being a bit controversial because we have had to step outside the norm of modern day and step back into some ancient roots to bring about the more holistic, integrative aspect of self-care right. and medicine. Right. Can I can I just say something about that because I of did course. listen to a um, portion of Sally's, and of course I followed her so. 
you know, I'm quite aware um, of, of her, you know, and what she's offered the world and really honor that because of this um, inner work, as I said, really started at, at 35. I've um, learned to turn inward as the issue. So, you know, it's, it's saying, I'm, I, I believe everybody has to do it the way that they're doing it and it's part of their path. If I can change my mind, if I can move from my, let's call, I call it my pea brain, my, that lower mind that is conditioned by um, living a, a time-space life, if I can take a hold of that and choose the truth, which to me is expansion and love and kindness um, in a way of connecting to the part of me that is uh, never dies, right? If I'm doing that work, then I change my outer world. So with, and I think this last year has brought that really to a head for me in the sense of, along with, um, I actually uh, was ill myself earlier this year. I had pericarditis. I traveled a lot at the end of last year and I think I picked up a virus and it, uh, who knows, it could have been um, a coronavirus, but it settled in my, the lining of my heart um, and ended up putting me in hospital after me ignoring it as thinking it was muscle, a rib spasm for quite a while, um, put me in hospital for four days in early January, um, yeah, January. And um, then upon, shortly after that was, was the whole COVID thing. And with all of that, I've had to really look because I, I do, I could speak out a lot. I, as a pharmacist, I have gently guided people toward um, supporting their, uh, you know, the, their opening to expanded understanding of what's going on and, and what's giving them their um, viewpoint on vaccinations. I, my, my children were never vaccinated as that I did not vaccinate my children. And I chose that before my, my now 40 year old was two months old. And I think, I think everything is valid and needed, but I'm doing it by changing me. And the changing me is removing fear, right? Okay. So I can speak to these things. I'm not blind, you know, I'm not a Pollyanna by any means. I've spent years, I was about four years ago, um, I've always known this stuff because of my alternative view in medicine and what I've read. But four years ago, I was told um, by my inner uh, guidance, you, you, you now have to, have to know this stuff. So it sent me deeply into understanding all of the dynamics of, of um, of living in a time-space universe <laughs> and, and then develop this deeper uh, sense of who I really am so that I don't have to um, approach it from 
a time space um, way, right, of dealing in the world. So yeah, so I, I'm I'm with you as far as controversy, and I guess I'm giving this to you because. This last night, after listening to Sally, I went to bed going, "Whoa, what am? How am I supposed in on this interview? How am I supposed to serve um, in a way that honors the different approaches? And how can I still represent who I really am? Because I have a pretty good grasp of who I am. I wouldn't say that." I'm an enlightened being, but that's the path uh, for me. And it, it's not dealt with outside, right? So, you know, so, and, and that's my long answer to, uh, yeah, I, I agree with where you are, bringing up controversy and, and getting people's minds opened uh, and starting to get them to move out of uh, uh, the, uh, the herd, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, is important. It's a step toward. But I think I came into this world already n not wanting that, right? Not wanting to be part of the hurt. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I can appreciate that. And I do just uh, to speak uh, something about Sally's, I feel that what I like about her perspectives is that with her exosomal theory, I think she's actually helping to decrease fear because we don't have to be as scared of the world around us and the viruses and the bacteria potentially based on her theory of potentially those are those are things that the body is actually using to to help harmonize and mediate other environmental assaults or stimuli. And so I think there can be some peace of mind in that knowing that we are we do have our own virome and not all viruses are something that we need to to fear at all cost. And I do appreciate Sally's always had a her approach has always been very nutritionally based and how to reclaim or maintain our health through nutritional practices. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And 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 a, a great body of work. Yes. I, you mentioned something a bit ago about something that happened. At, you said at 35 years old, you, you started to go on a path of, of more inner reflection. What has that journey been like for you? And how has that changed your outlook on life? Mm -hmm. if, if you, and if you can try to put it, I guess, in, I know sometimes these things are almost the ineffable, very esoteric. I'm wondering if we could, as best as you can, try to bring it into some concrete examples. Okay, well, I think I have to go back to being about 16 because I was brought up Catholic and I was very much into um, the Catholic um, organizations. Like I was a child of Mary. I loved... I taught Sunday school. I loved the community aspect of it. But something happened when I was 35. I start, my eyes started to open to the fact that my father wasn't Catholic and I was being taught that he wouldn't go to heaven. And somewhere around 15 or um, 16, I might just wait a minute. <laughs> my dad, who I dearly loved and was a wonderful caring human being that didn't make sense to me so that along with you know some other um 
things that tightened me up inside uh, made me just reject religion. So I rejected it. And um, I read Jonathan Livingston Seagull when I was in my uh, 20s, probably 25, and had a resonance with that. And I also had a number of um, what I would call visions that would creep into my life and show up where I, I, I'd have precognition or um, just stuff, but it was, it was all disjointed until I was uh, preparing to be 35 when I, because uh, I always felt someday I'll figure it out. I was, I was really busy being a pharmacist uh, and then a mother. My children were born in, in my early 30s. And my, when my third child uh, in utero uh, passed away, at six months. I had to go through a process of delivery. And then what do you do with a uh, in utero uh, fetus of six months? And I chose to do a ceremony with a the actual minister, he couldn't find a priest that he felt would work for me. He asked me if he could do it uh, from the foothills hospital in, in Calgary, which is where uh, I spent my um, my second 28 years of my life. Uh, in that ceremony that he did, there was only my two children, my husband, and a friend who had helped me. It was just, and I felt that the church was full, full of angels, full of the spiritual. It was such a palpable feeling for me um, and the way that that day went where we took her ashes and I went through a whole grieving process over a period of a week and took her ashes and um, took them over in up over the CB bridge and went into the mountains of the, um, the foothills uh, in outside of Calgary. It was, it was like a, um, something to really take note of. And that's what's happened in my life is I've been given these very uh, pronounced experiences that you just don't forget and that are landmarks. Uh, and they started happening post that ceremony um, very quickly. We, and I started meeting people that uh, opened up um, my mind to different aspects. I started, uh, I would walk into a room and people would say to me, wow, your aura is so large, right? <laughs> Just it's filling this room. So I started to hang out with, with people that were more on the um, spiritual end of things. Um, just all kinds of what might have been seen as, um, um, to me, they were all sort of planned, but you might think of them as just serendipitous, right? But they, they were, there was more than that going on. And then about 10 days before I had my um, 35th birthday, I had a migraine. And that was something that uh, I experienced periodically. I've had a number of uh, uh, accidents where my, my neck was affected and, and if my hormones were off, that's what would happen. And I went to sleep early, uh, woke up uh, and it was still there. So I decided to get up and I sat in the rocker that I would rock my children uh, who are now 
um, three and five. And when I'm in this rocker, I thought, well, you know, this energy that's going on, maybe it can just heal my neck. <laughs> so I just gave over and my neck started moving in all kinds of directions and muscles relaxed. I went back to bed, thought, okay, great. Woke up some hours later, uh, my husband's sound asleep. I creep out and go, okay, I gotta do this again. Sat in the chair and said to myself, well, if this energy can work my head, maybe it will talk to me. Zoom. <laughs> I just was ascended upon by love. It was like I asked and it was there. Uh, it was very, very pr profound. I had tears of joy in my eyes. I, I developed a connection. And um, that connection has stayed with me in different forms since. Uh, I call it now my inner voice. If I, if I quiet myself, I'll get that guidance. Um, I, my connection to that is the most important thing to my higher self, to the Holy Spirit, to, you know, the spiritual world, however, a per God, however a person wants to call it, the name doesn't matter. It's that I am not this body that can die, right? That's where I come from. So if I'm coming from that place, then where are, to me in my life, where are the places where I'm blocking that? And I have this career, this uh, even brand, holistic pharmacist, Rosemary Pierce. And to me, that's fine, but that's not me. That's the mode by which I find um, how I'm acting in the world, what's coming back to me, and where are my blockages? Where are the places in me that I am not expanded and in the belief of um, the all that is. So to me, that's really what life is about. Um, and this, uh, you know, this work with pharmacognosy, um, uh, the understanding of herbs and all those things, it's a wonderful be vehicle to connect to people and to support other people for the purpose of connection. So I wouldn't be doing this with you if I wasn't a holistic pharmacist giving a course at Pacific Rim College. Right. It, it, it wouldn't be happening, right? So to me, the connection with you and how I can, how I am with you and how um, our relationship develops, even if it's just in an elevator or, not, or, or a lifetime, like with my, my husband partner who shares this, uh, this uh, philosophy with me, um, it, it, it helps me understand myself. Yeah. Well, that's such a powerful journey. Thank you for sharing that. Do you mind if I ask a couple questions? No, okay. Just I'm trying to get the chronology right. So the, the migraine before your 35th birthday, was that after losing your child or before? After. After. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. It and was all in, in sequence okay. leading up to that, I think. Yeah. And with the loss of your child, it sounds to me like you had to make a conscious decision to take full accountability for your own healing rather than be a victim of what had happened. Is that safe to say? 
that's the essence of the path. Okay. The essence, because if I'm a victim, then it's an uh, it's focused outside. If yep. I take accountability, um, take personal responsibility, it's all about what's going on inside. Mm -hmm. Where, how open is my heart? How how much is my mind in alignment with my true beliefs? Where am I getting triggered and acting out or projecting out? How can I heal inside for the purpose of healing the outside? Yeah. Right. Now, of course, you were a victim in the sense that you did lose a child. How did you step out or beyond that mentality of being a victim and staying in that was is that something you've always done or was there something that you you had a an epiphany during that experience where you realized your only path to freedom was through healing and the only way to heal was to take personal responsibility well i i had never really had a any kind of calamity or tragedy before that that was the first time in my life where something went off not saying things haven't gone off since then, but <laughs> that was the first one for me to handle. And uh, if I, uh, that uh, minister that was at the Foothills Hospital, he asked me, could you speak to other people? Because he was dealing with me the week after, right, almost directly after. And he was asking me, could I speak to other people to help them understand this other way of seeing things? Somehow I knew it from the time of that church, from the being in the ceremony for Jennifer was this little um, unborn child's mm. name, my oldest daughter, who is, who is an amazing energy healer now, um, named her Jennifer. Okay. And uh, from the time that that incident happened with Jennifer, and the angels were in the <laughs> in in that uh, church. Um, it, it it was obvious to me, really obvious to me, that something much greater than I understood. I felt like I was put on a fast tracked on a journey, and um, everything was. I was just grateful for everything that that right. was happening. So it was almost immediate, I would say. So that church ceremony was kind of triggered the healing process. No, I would say there wasn't a healing process. Okay. There was a choice yeah. that I was going to see this, that it was for me, yeah. not to me. Well, I would argue that that, that is a healing process, a healing journey. Oh. Mm. And you also mentioned that you grieved quite heavily yeah. for about a week. And I think that is something that many people, people perhaps try to bypass feeling mm. like they don't have time to grieve or it's it's not right to do but i think it is such a key part of that healing process Ooh, to, yeah. yeah and was there and just to speak one last thing about the victim state were you feeling like a victim for any amount of time during that process was it i would i have i would guess that there must have been a moment where you had to lament, like, why me? What did I do? Oh, boy, you know, the world is attacking me. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm projecting, but I'm just wondering if there was a, a short window of it. Well, it, 
it would be nice for me to say that because then I could commiserate with a lot of others that go through it. Mm -hmm. But to be honest with you, I was in Nova Scotia when that baby died. Uh, um, she was passing. What happened is she twisted the cord at her mm -hmm. uh, belly button. Right. right. And I had my intuitiveness had been developing, preparing for this enough that I knew she had died. I was in Nova Scotia with my two very young children and had to come home to Calgary. And I chose to do that. So I, I think I went through, was given uh, the grace of a very slow recognition that this baby was not going to be born. And, um, and so there was no huge gut-wrenching feeling with this as much as, um, uh, yeah, I, all I could say is it was, it, I was in grace hmm. through, through, through that. And I did grieve. Um, I, I watched myself over the week that she was, I had, that she was still born, uh, which was a Saturday to the next Saturday. And that was my, my period. It was so wonderfully shortened by, I believe, grace and my choice to stay in, in the aspect of this is for me the, and, yeah. and to, um, and also remember I had two small children and a loving husband and a lot of support. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's maybe not be easy to do, but I appreciate that. And I mm -hmm. think many of the listeners will appreciate it as well. Yeah. Well, it's not that it's hard to talk about. It's that, um, it, it opens up a whole aspect in this conversation is opening up a whole aspect that makes, makes who I am, but that really I don't talk about when I'm talking about how drugs deplete nutrients, <laughs> <Of> <laughs> but it's there. It's yeah. there in my caring for, for the human being. Yeah. Well, it may not be about drugs depleting nutrients, but there's also the, possibility of emotions depleting nutrients and toxic emotions or uh, negative emotions certainly can do that they can have an incredible impact on the body which does lead to uh, poor digestion or poor absorption or uh, poor appetite as well as mm -hmm. many other things so can i tie something in on that please Yes, um, I'll, I'll bring it back to the physical just to show how something that's not physical really uh, affects the physical because uh, it all just um, dense, condenses down right into density. Um, and, and this has to do with, uh, you know, another course that I gave um, my two years ago at Pacific uh, Rim College weekend workshop that most likely I'll be giving in the spring or uh, again, Great. or uh, February, March, I guess, uh, end of winter. Um, and it has to do with how um, your body's alkalinity acidity is affected by stress. Yes. So with stress and the HP access, um, the product, and then the production of cortisol, cortisol will um, support the, another part of the adrenal glands in producing um, aldosterone, which excretes your magnesium and potassium. Okay. Right? And once those two electrolytes, those two alkali minerals are, are excessively excreted, you've offset 
the whole alkalinity um, acidity or pH balance within the body. So we become more acidic. Become more acidic. Mm -hmm. And that sets us up for so many more um, conditions, degenerative diseases, osteoporosis, all kinds of things. So just even for somebody who might not make that connection, there is, it actually goes down to physical mechanisms Yes. Within the body. And if I can ask, this is something current with COVID, and it's something that Sally Fallon and I actually talked about, but on this acid-base balance, the wearing of masks, especially (laughs) constantly, (laughs) are we not rebreathing enough CO2 that we are actually becoming more acidic and offsetting that acid-base balance? Yes. Because breathing, the it's actually the kidneys that excrete and get rid of acids, yes. but it's the breath that controls the um, pH balance within, the, especially the blood, which has to be so tightly regulated. Yeah. And um, yes, I 100% agree with that, that we are not in a proper balance. I, um, I feel for people, I very seldom, only when um, it would be uh, causing stress in a situation or right. I'm forced to, do I wear a mask? Yeah. And I believe that's one of the, the now controversial topics. It, it's almost hard to talk about pub- publicly because it has become something where you are demonized um, if you do not wear a mask. And yeah. yet, I would much rather breathe the oxygen that my body's designed to breathe and trust my body is going to be able to maintain health than to rebreathe in my carbon dioxide knowing that I am handicapping my body's ability to maintain equilibrium. Yes. What what I see attached to and the part that sticks out uh, for me there is this demonization this there tends to be an alignment of thoughts driven by fears and emotions that are bringing people into alignment with each other in such a way that um, separation is being caused and to me it's this separation which is the exact opposite to what I stand for, which yeah. is connection. Mm-hmm. So on, you know, to me, there's a huge, it's, it's an outer condition, outer circumstance of an inner condition. Right. And unless people are dealing with their inner conditions and realizing that they're causing, uh, they're projecting out separation by the sense of inner isolation and mm. separation within themselves. I know this is a rabbit hole we could easily fall into, so I won't. But I do, I I still have some more on the acid-based balance because you mentioned that you researched osteoporosis for six months. And you talked about the kidneys are responsible for helping to maintain that acid-base equilibrium. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but if we are in an acidic milieu, if our blood is acidic, if our body is acidic, are we not leaching minerals from our bones such as calcium to help alkalize the body and therefore weakening our skeletal system because that that calcium is not going to be put back into the bones it's going to be excreted by the kidneys is that correct right just in case somebody um, uh, who's medically oriented uh, listens to this i 
I'll make a slight correction. And that Please is do. that our, our body can't be truly be acidic. Otherwise mm -hmm. we'd be dead. Okay. So Thank what you. we're, what we're talking about is a low grade acidosis. Yes. Always too many acids for the body to try and deal with putting it into stress. And the stress is on the kidneys, kidney, because, um, um, uh, the balance can be accomplished or, or accomplished by by breath, by our you know exchanges of carbon dioxide right. and oxygen, and by buffering systems in the body. And I go into all that in in, in that pH um, talk, mm -hmm. uh, um, work, one day workshop. Um, but uh, what we're talking about is this always in st stress of too many acids to deal with both metabolic acids produced by natural cellular function and then the incoming acids and the stress right which is mm -hmm. causing excretion so yeah. there is an there is a, always a, um, the body trying to maintain balance and it always being just slightly taken off with too many acids right. so that now won't get <laughs> just wiped right out that you have to be off if you think the body's acid. And I knew what you meant, but okay. just to make yes, sure that, you. yeah. So now uh, what's happening is the body needs alkaline minerals and buffers in order to, pro and, and those come from diets and breath. Breath can cause um, bicarbonates, but diet, especially things like citric acid from from lemons and limes, that's a big one for me to, uh, to work with, to help explain how you can use foods and beverages to support your body in keeping this balance. But if it doesn't do it, then, um, and there isn't enough alkaline minerals, then as you express, we have to rely on um, a mineral reserve in the body. And there isn't many except yeah. the, the bones. bones. And so therefore, and the bones have this ability to, to what we call reabsorb or quickly break down and provide alkaline minerals. Uh, and if you're low in salts, if you're low in potassium, it, it's not just calcium or magnesium, any of those, it will break down bone to provide them for the blood because the blood has a very narrow range. If it goes out of balance, um, and we usually to acidity, we'll go into a coma and die. And, and emergency doctors really understand that degree of um, pH. What they don't seem to get is this low-grade acidosis that always is putting us in this stress of breaking things down, not providing enough oxygen, having too too little um, um, alkaline minerals available to um, to support our body toward health. It's it's just like it's always in a, a kind of a, um, a deficit. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying this vein that we're on, and I feel like I have an expert here on on these topics that I've always been fascinated by. So I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to pick here to get some answers. Okay. So we're leaching minerals from the bones to buffer the potential acidic state that's happening in the body, the mild acidosis. Those minerals are then being excreted. Uh, they're being filtered by the kidneys out of the blood and then excreted via the urine. Correct? And, uh, oh, yes. And let's just add a little mechanism in there. Yes. Um, 
let's look at oxalates, yes. right? Oxalic acid that would come from um, diet mm -hmm. mostly. So uh, we bring in oxalates with those wonderful uh, leafy greens, uh, beets, etc. Um, and uh, hopefully a lot of people are eating those, but if their body has this struggle with, with this low-grade acidosis, it means that there's not going to be enough um, citrates and magnesium available to um, properly join with these oxalates and excrete them, solubilized. Okay. You, because of the struggle, there's more calcium. And why is there more calcium? Because that's the main major mineral in the bones, right? right. So there's more calcium. And this is one of the reasons why we often hear don't take calcium because the body has too much calcium and yes. it calcifies, right? It's, it's really, I think, because that's the major mineral available. So the calcium then uh, complexes with the oxalate forming kidney stones. I was just gonna bring up kidney stones, okay. Or oxalate deposits. Yes. In other words, calcium combined with oxalic acid forming calcium oxalate is not soluble, which means it's not dissolved in the urine. So the kidneys are going to have a really hard time with that. They're going to try and excrete, always try to excrete acids in a salt form. So calcium oxalate is a salt, right? Just like magnesium. Uh, chloride is a salt. It's always going to try and join them, not in their acidic form, because that's really hard on the kidneys and the yes. whole urinary tract because it's um, irritating. Um, they're, they're, our body can't handle that acids. And year after year is what wears down the kidneys and why, along with taking medications, why we have so many kidney issues with the elderly. Mm-hmm. And so the kidney stones are basically a byproduct of this low-level acidosis, which is causing a fairly constant leaching of the minerals from the bones, which the kidneys then have to deal with and excrete. And as you said, kidney stones can form. That's right. Yeah. That's that would be there. There are people that have, let's say, a genetic disposition, yes, where that um, where their body is super sensitive to doing that. But for the average person, the issue of kidney stones is low grade acidosis. That's the basis. It's their diet usually, the stress, maybe drugs they're taking, maybe over exercising. Overexercising will cause an acidic condition in the body, right. um, mostly by by what's happening with the breath. So, right. but it's usually the diet. So the diet is the big focus, and therefore um, creating this 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 imbalance, which shows up in people in different ways: yeah. low bone density, kidney stones, issues with their gallbladder, liver, low stomach acid is, and this is through these two workshops that, that I'm giving, I tie in the, in, the need for the uh, alkaline body with combined with the acidic stomach and how you really can't have the proper acid for digestion unless you have an alkaline body. And that's fascinating. <laughs> it, it is.
And I feel like we're also now adding insult to injury, as we just talked about, because we're living in a fear-based, highly stressed world where we're wearing masks. And all three of those things, fear, stress, and wearing masks, are also going to increase the propensity towards acidity. Right. Which is going to add further strain to the skeletal system. And then many people I'm hearing haven't left their homes in six months. So not the extreme of over-exercising, but now the extreme of under-exercising, which is going to result in the osteoblast not breaking down the bones and rebuilding new bone tissue because they're not getting that gentle impact of, mm-hmm. of walking or jogging or whatever it may be. And so I fear that we're really setting up, setting up a whole different epidemic, especially in the more elderly population who are already uh, susceptible to weakened bones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To me, um, it almost seems like a, a, a crisis in the making mm-hmm. as we try and deal with this uh, idea of a pandemic. And I say idea of yes. a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, and the long-term effects for this i'm sure will be the um, subject of research on all levels for decades to come my hope is is that it's painful enough that it forces people to ask for another way there's got to be another way yeah because without moving outside of the self-created box of one's world and looking at what else is going on here. Um, it's just more of the same. And I, I'm, I am an optimist. I really don't believe this is um, the end. I think it, it, it's a wonderful opportunity, a huge opportunity for us, even though it looks really painful and there, there's separation created and polarity, um, where it also, I think, forces us to move towards unity. Yeah, so, I yeah. agree. I agree. So I, I always have to take it back to that because for me, that's where it's tied in, even though I definitely, it's like, let me help you with your stomach acid yes. issue, you know, <laughs> or you, or your low bone density. It's got to be dealt with. You know, we have to keep brushing our teeth. There's yeah. nothing about that. But at the same breath, there's more to it. Well, as you said, it's happening for us and not to us if we want yes. to look at it from that perspective. Still not done with osteoporosis yet. because I... <laughs> Okay. So let's talk about some of the drugs that are commonly used, such as Fosamax. And what does that do and compare and contrast that to how we can take care of our, our bones and our mineral levels through natural diet? Mm-hmm. So that whole class of drugs that uh, fits, um, the, the, that the Fosamax fits in are meant to suppress the loss of bone. So there are, the bone's dynamic in that it has cells that are building it up. Um, the osteo- uh, osteoblast. Is it blast? No, oh, yes, blast. osteoblast blast. build. So, yeah. yeah, build, blast. Yes. And um, osteoclasts that, that break, uh, it break it down. And there's, and it's dynamic in the sense that those two are always balancing with each other based on, as we said, if we are applying um, 
pressure through, uh, you know, um, running, let's say, or something that that, that forces um, some uh, some pressure on the bones, they're going to build up, become stronger. Um, and uh, if there's um, and uh, low-grade acidosis, they're going to break down because the blood has to be protected. Like, mm -hmm. It's a hierarchy of, of what's going to kill us first. It's not going to be the broken bone. It's going to be the coma that we go into because we don't have the right blood uh, pH. Right. So, so it's the, sorry if I can interrupt, it's the osteoclast then that break down Right, the and they'll be so so we can extract the, so we can extract yes. the minerals into the blood as a buffer. Right, they'll okay. be stimulated, but of course they're being stimulated because they're needed. Yes. Now along comes the drug and says, "Whoops, we'll just block that We'll just block that uh, action of breaking down bone." So we've just blocked the acid-base balancing system. Yes. So the underlying issue is still there and not taken care of and coming out in many other ways. In the meantime, the ability, as I said, for bone that's dynamic, which means it's always breaking down and building up, yes. um, is, is suppressed. And therefore the bone that, that we're being left with is not new, fresh, healthy mm -hmm. bone. And mm -hmm. by that, you know, there's, it takes time, but comparatively, um, it's old bone. An old bone ten, tends to be brittle. Mm -hmm. So it, it, yes, you can see an increase in bone density, but there's also an increase in fractures. And these drugs are, um, you know, there are many generations of them, of which Fosamax is right in the middle. Um, but to me, uh, it's been something I've been speaking out against as a, a not very um, effective therapy for supporting bone health. Yes. Well, it's a, I, it's a fascinating conversation. I love this. And I'm actually just about to interview Alan Castles, who is a drug policy researcher who wrote a number of years ago, the book Selling Sickness. And <laughs> in that book, he talks about how the pharmaceutical industry has, in some cases, created some of these conditions, defined them and then set the parameters and then brought about the so-called cure with certain drugs and that the parameters for what used to be considered osteoporosis <clears throat> has greatly broadened to include more and more people over the years. So more and more people can be considered preconditions, pre-diabetic, pre-osteoporosis, pre-whatever it may be, so they can also be medicated. Mm -hmm. That, that's what I meant when I said the uh, part of the whole dynamic behind this. Um, Our Stolen Future is another wonderful book on that, A World Without Cancer, are mm. ones I read when I was a young pharmacist. Um, the, that, there is, to me, a whole uh, planned movement, which includes vaccinations and many other aspects uh, that would keep us unhealthy and uh, spending a lot of our money on um, uh, pharmaceutical wellness, yes. <laughs> with the quotes. Yeah, you, but uh, just one second, there was yeah. one 
thought that um, it's gone. Uh, if it comes back, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. And I believe you mentioned earlier, you talked about citric acid and how getting that from our citrus fruits can actually help alkalize. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So I think some people might be confused by that and thinking, how can an acidic food alkalize the body when in fact that is often what happens? Mm -hmm. Well, if we just use citric acid as the main, what we call organic acid, and has nothing to do with pesticide-free, herbicide-free, right? It's it's a type of chemistry that the acid um, is is found in um, plants. So these acids uh, enter the body acidic, which is good because the stomach is acidic. It's the yes. only place where we really need a lot of acidity. So it supports that. But through its um, process of, of entering the body, being absorbed, it is changed. So it, it, and how it can be, well, first of all, it can be incorporated into the citric acid cycle, which is part of how we create energy, the Krebs cycle, somebody might know it as. Yes. But so these little acids all have, um, uh, best way to do it, they all work together, these little organic acids, to help create our ATP or energy through a natural process. So very valuable there. But the other place that they can be used is in the kidneys. The kidneys can, if they're missing through uh, having to buffer too many acids, not having enough bicarbonate, people will know that sodium bicarbonate neutralizes acid, right? Baking soda. If you take baking soda, put it in an acidic stomach, you're going to have relief. It's, it's an antacid. Yes. Not saying that that should be used all the time. There is a place for it, but that's bicarbonate. So it's the bicarbonate that does the neutralizing of the acids. It's the kidneys connecting them with minerals that excretes it, but you need to get these acids out of an acidic state so they're not destroying the kidneys, right? So there's this buffering system and citric acid can be converted to bicarbonates. That's part of what the kidneys do. So um, by eating, not only eating mineral rich foods, and, but eating these natural foods that contain these little acids, like in vinegar, um, apple cider vinegar, it's acidic acid, acetic acid, right? And that is another one of these. But it's really citric that's the, the, the key, which means the highest foods we have, lemons and then limes. So I've worked with lemon a lot and it comes up in my, and how it works in, in, in as part of my uh, pH workshop. Um, and extremely valuable. Although there are the very rare person that can't have citrus. And that's another issue with their kidneys. It's nothing to do about whether it's good for the body. It's particular to their, and I don't know if you know this, Todd, but um, there is a Chinese medicine cure for that, people who can't uh, tolerate citrus. Are you familiar with it? No. Okay, I'm so not. it's it's there because over the years I've heard that um, individuals actually on the island have dealt with um, a Chinese medicine specialist, uh, and they have 
cured them of their not being able to have citrus foods. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So I just bring it up because there will be the odd person that will say, well, I can't have citrus. And it's not to do with this. Right. This mechanism. Right. Well, let's a few places that we can springboard to with this because uh, one i want to talk about your upcoming course that's going to be launched on pacific rim college online because i'm mm -hmm. suspecting that you cover much of this and that and that's a course on food drug herb nutrient interactions and subsequent depletions and mm -hmm. then i also know that read that you have a some formulations and one of which your morning rise and shine actually deals with the the stomach juices is that correct it helps to helps with the digestive process well yeah as part of my work with prairie naturals and my extreme interest in this topic i developed a product uh, within that line um, that is that's based on lemon morning rice and shine is a lemon aloe and mineral drink and the minerals are all in citrate form so it's a very high citric acid uh, combination for the purpose of alkalizing the body but of course as it as it comes in it works with the stomach acid supporting um, functions in the uh, in the liver um, because the liver depends on an acidic stomach and um, with the aloe also, besides giving minerals, it also helps soothe and heal the, the uh, lining of the intestinal system, especially the stomach. Um, so that's what gave me the impetus to really deeply research lemon and understand all of the dynamics. And that's where the fun is for me. I mean, the product is just the end result and it's wonderful to have one. I also have it as a uh, recipe. I started it when I had my own health food store and I was trying to figure out how to bury green, green drinks, which came along then. What better way than with lemon? So uh, I developed this lemon aloe and, and mineral drink. But of course, I couldn't focus as much on the minerals addition, just basically salt in that case, um, as I could when I actually did a formula. So my brother said to me, you know, Rosemary, you could make this into a drink. All of these things are, are possible. It took me a while because given that it has to be such a high lemon content, it turned out like a hockey puck, right? The hydroscope. <laughs> <laughs> the hydroscopic so i you know i would uh, work with manufacturing and they would send me a sample and two weeks later <laughs> it was hard <laughs> so um uh, the maple syrup that i used at that point remember now this is like 25 years ago or more uh, oh no let me see no almost 20. Um, I, I, I can tell from where I was living, <laughs> how long ago it was. I was on the Sunshine Coast, where I am now on the okay. Sunshine Coast. Uh, first year when, when that happened. So early 2000s. Um, and of course, it, summer moisture, two weeks. <laughs> it's it, because when you're making something with natural ingredients, they absorb water usually. They're hydroscopic, right? Water loving. <laughs> and um, anyway, but I did figure it out and was able to put this product out, which really is quite unique um, in the Canadian market as far as a, a, a product that actually gives you the juice of half a lemon 
focuses on citric acid. And it's my vehicle within the, the realm of prairie and working with retailers in training on pH. Mm-hmm. So what I've done is I've taken all that knowledge, expanded it the way I would love to expand it. And luckily for me, there's Pacific Rim College <laughs> <laughs> that I can land the yeah. extended version for people. Right. And you may not be able to say this, but I, I can. But it sounds to me like this drink that you've made, the Morning Rise and Shine, actually can be a more natural answer to weakening bones and, and maybe a safer alternative to drugs such as Fosamax. Well, it definitely can uh, be said that it has alkaline minerals Mm -hmm. and alkaline minerals and balancing the pH to me is absolutely key in um, preventing osteoporosis and as the basis of a osteoporosis um, or bone health program. Right. Great. So let's talk a little bit on about your upcoming course. I think it's being released quite soon. I'm sorry, just before what? you do that, yes, go I'd ahead. like to tie in another aspect. Tie in. Because this is something else I, it, that's not in writing. But if we go back to our kidney stones, yes. ha-ha. <laughs> right. Citric acid, the yep. answer to kidney stones, right, is the fluids mm-hmm. and um, alkaline minerals, magnesium and potassium, particularly with citrates, help uh to to not create kidney stones or oxalate deposits the oxalates because the citric helps with the oxalate right yes it it, mm-hmm. it you want to stay away from high calcium and you want to sorry sorry i just had to tie no, that in that's because- great and and can taking calcium in a situation like that can that actually lead to kidney stones when, yes if yeah. the body is acidic it, yes. in that low-grade acidosis where where cal and if calcium is predominant both from coming out of the bones and from bringing it in and without the body being ph balanced yes yeah so why will the ingested calcium then not help serve as a buffer or does it serve as a buffer when you're ingesting calcium well it can when when if it's combined in the stomach at the same time it can right because it can form with the oxalic acid there being soluble and taking through but really calcium is not your main ph balancer and um without having the the citrates present because in in chemistry oxalates will form with uh, calcium um, and form a stone but if you have enough citrates that will replace the oxalates and not form a stone yes so it's it's basically the affinity of the uh, of the salt form. And someone with an existing kidney stone <clears throat> or a propensity to them, can they use citric acid ingestion as a tool for helping to dissolve those kidney stones? Yes. And it and and but I wouldn't suggest it being taken as a supplement, mm-hmm. but as through uh, food. Food. So. Yeah, so yeah. high uh, having lemon in the diet, having other forms of citric acid naturally found um, in in foods, and then having uh, lots of fluids. Yeah. Extremely important 
to be uh, high on the fluids, but not fluids without just by itself because it, it you know, you need those minerals. Right? Okay. Yeah. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for letting me put that in there. <laughs> no, thank you. Well, it's, it, you know, um, uh, morning rise and shine and therefore um, citric acid and these minerals are, um, are acidifiers. They're urine acidifiers. But when I applied with studies behind it for that claim on a morning rise and shine, they wouldn't give it to me. And the reason, Health Canada's um, reason for doing that is we reserve uh, alkalize or acidifiers, alkaline acidifiers of, of urine to drugs. Hmm. It's not something we can claim on a natural product. It's not something that happens naturally. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm shocked. <laughs> okay, let's talk about your course. Food, drug, herb, nutrient interactions and depletions. What, where do you go with this course? I'm uh, presuming that a lot of what we've been talking about is, is part of what's this course, but maybe you can take us through it a bit. Well, we, we entered intertwined amongst um, the end effect of nutrient depletions. So that comes up more when I look at pH, right? Uh, if we backtrack to what might be causing uh, low-grade acidosis or, or low minerals in the body um, and, and an acidic pH, uh, we would be looking maybe at drugs. I deal with many other ways in which uh, that can happen. Um, in my pH workshop, but within the online course of nutrient depletions, where I'm reviewing dr uh, drug categories and some specific drugs, but more doing it in categories like um, the cholesterol medication, the psychotic medication, the anti-inflammatory medications, the hormones, especially estrogen, um, all these different classes and then some specific drugs um, f for how they how they act in the body as far as nutrient depletions. So they're usually used long term and that's when the issues occur and sometimes there's especially with age there's the combinations or what we call polypharmacy where there are many drugs combined and which usually exacerbates an issue. Uh, magnesium, a loss of magnesium would be a big one. If I could just give an example, if a person has high blood pressure, often the first drug they're put on is a, a water pill or what's called a diuretic, an antihypertensive yes. drug. And, and um, the first one would usually be hydrochlorothiazide. That's, it, it was that way when I was a young pharmacist. And when I check with pharmacists, it's still first line of action. So a person hits their 50s, they, their blood pressure goes up, they're put on this particular medication. It depletes uh, minerals especially, and especially magnesium. And as we know, magnesium is one is already uh, low in our diet. It's one of the deficiencies that happens, and it's needed for proper function of our muscles, including our whole circulatory system. 
um, for and blood pressure happens when we don't have that flexibility of the circulatory system to expand and con contract. So it's exacerbating the problems. And there's many more there, but just focusing on that one. Usually after a couple of years, the hydrochlorothiazide's not working as well. Blood pressure's raising and they'll add a second diuretic, which, which again depletes more of those minerals plus vitamin, some vitamin B. And so the, therein lies the problem with, with the medications. Maybe we're not saying don't take the medications necessarily, but at least we have to figure out how to, uh, to um, restore, yeah. Yeah, restore those minerals that are, are, and, and nutrients that are depleted that are needed to prevent the condition that they're taking the drug for. Yeah. And if a diuretic is being in, being used pharmaceutically for a prolonged period of time, is that not also causing damage to the kidneys? Fatigue? Y yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All drugs, for the most part, um, unless it's a potassium supplement prescription, almost all drugs are acidic, first mm -hmm. of all. So they add just in their nature, they add to the acid load and they themselves are a big strain on the kidneys. They're not natural, right? The, the body doesn't know how to deal with them. Yeah. It didn't evolve with them. And so there's always a toll. But yeah. to me, the biggest toll comes from the nutrient depletions. Right. And in Chinese medicine, the kidneys are basically our fountain of youth. And as that kidney energy starts to dwindle, as we age, we see signs of aging. And anything that we do that damages the kidneys and the energy of the kidneys is going to accelerate aging. And we see that often with people who are uh, in a polypharmacy situation, as you said, where they're taking a handful of different drugs. It's often something where they are also aging their body quite rapidly. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's a, a vicious cycle. I am um, looking at the situation uh, from my vantage point. If somebody younger was to say to me, you know, what's the main thing that I can do to uh, protect my health? I would say protect your kidneys. Yes. And work on your diet by making sure that your urine is always slightly alkaline. And um, if you do that, that means that, that you're taking the stress off your kidneys for have to deal with this acid. And, it, and then it's got much more resilience to deal with other things that comes its way. Because the diet and what we eat, it's, it's decade after decade. Okay, mm -hmm. So it's this, it's this delayed gratification of taking care of our health and not eating an acidic, uh, typical North American diet um, and being aware. And there are many other offshoots, but to me, the kidneys are, are, are so central to, um, to, to keeping us healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that entirely. And when you say slightly alkaline for the urine, are we talking 7.1 or 7.4 or something different for pH? 
Um, well, I'm looking at uh, um, the urine as a reflection of the blood. So it's the most crucial one. And there is a range of 6.4 to 7.4 for the urine. Um, always want it to be that 6.4 and above, which means you're turning the, um, the very sensitive pH paper, not you know, your, your lab variety 0 to 14, but the sensitive stuff you can buy in, um, in, from health food companies, um, you're turning it slightly green. Okay. You don't want it to go into the very dark blue purple color because then you, it's possible to have too many minerals and, okay. and, and, or to have a kidney issue. So you've over-alkalized at that point. Yes. Um, but it's, it's the, I often have, because I work with pH paper and talk about how to properly use it and why to use the urine, not the saliva, um, et cetera. I, I, you know, as a pharmacist, pharmacists deal with compliance and proper usage of whatever. And so I'm really in depth on helping understand when and how and how often, et cetera, of almost everything that I talk about. Um, because it's one thing to know something can help you, but then it's how do I use it? Mm -hmm. um, right. So yes, pH paper, if the pH paper remains yellow, <laughs> our body is, is pushing out too many acids that it hasn't been able to neutralize. Okay. So for the, the herb drug nutrient interactions, we've talked about, we, earlier we talked about Fosamax for osteoporosis and what that does to the bones. You just mentioned uh, when we're talking about hypertension, the diuretics. Let's go through another major one. Let's talk about statins for cholesterol. Mm -hmm. What might okay, be an so, adverse effect on the system of drugs? Um, well, I, I think I need to develop what that aspect is about. It's about how like drugs have a certain way in which they're dealt with within the body. Okay. And that term, and, and this is actually not just for people who are very interested in drugs, but this course has, uh, it goes complicated and easy. And on the complicated end, um, you're going to understand, anybody taking this course is going to understand that the actual mechanisms of how drugs are dealt with in the body, which is part of pharmacology, and it's called pharmacokinetics. And that is the absorption, the metabolism, uh, the distribution, um, and the excretion or elimination of drugs. So you have to understand how the body does that. And I go into, into that in a way that um, it, doesn't get, it, doesn't get, it doesn't get so complicated that it can't be understood. But we have to understand, especially how the liver and the intestinal system works, because then you combine what's normally supposed to happen with a drug and you bring in a natural substance and that's going to change that. It's either going to, the interaction's either going to inhibit the natural way in which the body um, takes care of a drug, gets rid of it, reduces, because the drug effect is based on dose and, um, and, and its effect is within a certain dosage range. You can't have it too low and you can't have it too high. And certain drugs uh, become very toxic if they're very quickly, if they're um, 
uh, and that's called ones that have a, a very narrow therapeutic index. So there's some that are really dangerous if you combine them. Um, and that would, you know, your very typical one would be taking warfarin or Coumadin, which is a blood thinner, and combining it with, um, you know, a, a natural substance that's going to thin the blood, right? Or even yes. ginkgo, for example, uh, especially if you're using uh, therapeutic doses of, of these. So what this part looks at is how nutrients, food, herbs, how they affect that elimination of, of the drug out of the body. So it's either going to um, increase the amount of drug or decrease it. Um, so for example, if you combine, um, I'm just thinking, if you combine grapefruit juice with uh, taking a birth control pill, you're going, or, or an estrogen supplement of some kind, um, okay. um, HRT, what you're going to do is uh, you're going to inhibit the natural enzymes in the body, the cytochrome P450 enzyme system from eliminating that drug, and you're going to increase the estrogen. Alcohol does that with estrogen. It even can do it with the body's natural estrogen, creating an estrogen dominance in women. And as they go through uh, perimenopause in, uh, or, or even PMS symptoms, there's usually an already an estrogen dominance. So even just adding grapefruit, half a grapefruit or grapefruit juice or alcohol into their diet can increase their estrogen dominance, giving, making all these symptoms worse and what is potential long-term impact of estrogen dominance inflammation mm -hmm. and anything that falls from from that weight gain um, digestive issues low bone density um, brain fog almost all of the symptoms that women complain about when they um you know, when they're going through a very difficult change of life or menopausal right. shift. And if someone is on birth control pills in their, let's say their youth leading up into their early 20s and they do, they are having some food interactions, which is creating estrogen dominance. Once they stop taking the medication, is that going to self-correct or is this an imbalance that kind of becomes more permanent and they actually need to do something actively to reset that and bring back equilibrium? Uh, once it's, once you stop the medication, you're removing that cause and effect uh, directly. But um, the the damage might already be done. The body might already, because you're actually with birth control pills, you're, you're losing magnesium, B6 and zinc, as well as, which happens with all estrogens. It's usually estrogen that's the issue in the birth control and in the supplement, but you're also, it's the rest of the Bs. So the idea would be to have that knowledge to know to take and replace those, mineral, those minerals and vitamins that are being lost. Now, magnesium B6 and zinc are also responsible for reducing inflammatory prostaglandins. So if you don't have them, um, you, you will produce more um, 
inflammatory prostaglandins. And so there's the inflammation, which mm -hmm. to me underlie, lie, underlay the whole issue of the PMS symptoms. Okay. So it is possible, whether it's either a, a, a nutrient depletion or a dietary depletion, to replace these to support the body so that it can bring its uh, estrogen progesterone back into balance. So someone who is in that scenario where they did take birth control long term, no longer are, but now they're experiencing PMS, strong PMS symptoms, mm -hmm. then it might still indicate that there is a, an estrogen dominance or an imbalance and yes. taking zinc and the vitamins you mentioned could help to mitigate those symptoms or right. not just change the symptoms because of course we're not looking at just mm -hmm. stifling symptoms. We're looking at, mm -hmm. at helping to heal the system and That's those right. can help yeah. to heal. That's right. And therefore, because we're dealing with magnesium and zinc as alkaline minerals, I would be looking at pH. I would be making sure that uh, they were they were balancing um, their pH and, and doing the testing and also working with the liver. Okay. The liver is highly affected yeah. by all of this. Well, it sounds to me like this course, especially since you said you you try to keep it simple, but there are parts where you go into more advanced yeah. for the practitioner. But it sounds like to me, this is for anyone who is either a healthcare practitioner or who is taking medication or open to taking medication. They should know the material that's in this course. Yes. It's interesting that I, just yesterday, I got an email from somebody who heard me do a mini version of this for an hour, the nutrient depletion part, two years ago. And they wrote me and said, uh, can I do a consultation with you because I'm having trouble with my father's medications. Mm. He's having side effects from his diabetic medications. And it was so interesting. I thought how I'm, you know, preparing um, to have this conversation with you and hear somebody from two years ago, remembering that this is something that they can do uh, to empower themselves to help mitigate the issue. Obviously, they're not, they're, they're not going to change their father's medications, but they can help um, their dad. Right. Well, I hope many other people hear this and also can connect with you to maybe help others, help other loved ones or help themselves. On that note, I know we've been at it for a while, so we do need to wrap <laughs> up, but how can people connect with you and learn more about what you're doing. So I will have your course and the, the show notes so that they can take the online course through PRC online. But how mm -hmm. else might someone connect with you? Well, let's just talk about that course. Um, it's uh, available for students. Uh, it's being opened internally in November, and it might be early January. Actually, I just posted that on Facebook. So if somebody joins me on Facebook and Instagram, I'm, I'm active. Um, I have both personal and professional um, in, uh, Instagram and Facebooks. So, okay. the, and I'm always talking about these things, especially on my Instagram. Uh, five times a week, I'll put little tidbits that bring this information. And then we'll announce when uh, the online course. And then, of course, they can always take the, um, the workshops as part of um, a virtual and and they are credited courses but it, it can be done by consumers as well 
and they can connect with me through um, social media and my website easily. Okay. Can you, what is your social media, your Instagram handle? Um, so um, it's at, just a moment, holistic.pharmacist. Okay. With an H, holistic dot. That's, and yeah, so if they go into my Instagram, in my profile, there's a link tree, which will uh, connect them to everything. Okay. And I will put that in the show notes and I'll put your website in there as well, if that's okay. Sure. Thank you so much. I have many questions that I didn't get to ask, but uh, this is so much more came out of this conversation than I was ever expecting. So thank you for taking the time today to, to talk with me. Thank you for continuing to deliver this education to people in general and especially our community at Pacific Rim College. It's, in my opinion, it is extremely important that people learn about these tools to help empower them to maintain their own health and in some cases to take back the health that is, has been lost. So thank you. Well, it's been a pure pleasure to be with you. Glad to finally look at you, even if it's not in person and <laughs> to see that wonderful smile. Nobody else gets to see it, but it's, it's a pretty beautiful uh, beaming face. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. All right, well, have a great day, Rosemary. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Rosemary Pierce. To learn more about Rosemary and her work, visit her website, holistic-pharmacist.com. Additionally, join us for incredible online courses offered by Rosemary. Launching on November 24th is her 10-hour course, Food, Drug, Herb, Nutrient Interactions, and Depletions. Sign up for the Pacific Rim College dot online newsletter to receive more details about the launch of this course and to get a limited time 40% discount plus two free mini lessons on estrogen and oral contraceptives and anti-inflammatory medications. Then on February 27th and March 6th, 2021, Rosemary will be offering two live online day-long courses through Pacific Rim College. The first is entitled Acidity, Modern Diets, and Degenerative Diseases. And the second is a natural prescription for supporting digestion and the body's alkaline acid balance. For more information on these two courses and to register, which opens to the public on November 20th, visit pacificrimcollege.com workshops. If you are interested in studying holistic nutrition and or Western herbal medicine, Pacific Rim College offers some of the most recognized and credible programs in the world. Visit pacificrimcollege.com to learn more. Don't forget to check out our other online education by exploring the amazing courses offered at PacificRimCollege.online, including Sally Fallon's Achieving Optimal Health Through Nourishing Traditional Diets. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you are using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, consider what holistic solutions can be added to your medicine cabinet.